This Corbin Talk features Associate Dean of Community Engagement, Ben Pearson, recorded live at Corbin University in 2020. Good morning, everyone. Um, it's good to be here. Uh, as I was considering this message, um, something else I've been considering is uh, the intense amount of um, disruption and suffering and uncertainty, uh, not only in our world and our society, but also amongst people affected um, in our community by a variety of things. So I'd like to um, open up in prayer to pray for those things. Then we're going to talk a little bit about Lent. So if you join me, let's pray together. Dear Lord, um, there's a lot going on in our world, in our community. Lord, I think of those that in our community are suffering, um, those who have lost a loved one, um, those that, that may be ill. Um, Lord, I pray that, that you provide healing and where there is pain, I would pray that you grow faith in proportion to it. Lord, um, I think about the coronavirus, um, how it is uh, not only spreading literally um, in our world, but it's also spreading fear. And we know that there are real consequences and that people are dying, and that can um, be fertile ground for um, uncertainty. And Lord, I pray that us as a community would respond in faith and kindness opposed to fear and isolation. And Lord, I also consider what is going on in our economy, knowing that um, there's a great deal of uncertainty there. And I'd ask that those that impact that, that you would grant them um, wisdom, whether they know you or not, and that your glory would be made manifest there. And finally, Lord, I consider um, our political system, knowing that that is a great um, source of division in our world, uh, perhaps even in our community here at Corbin. And I ask that um, there, Lord, where at times perhaps it looks the least hopeful for healing and reconciliation, um, please show us that that is um, a great opportunity um, for hope through your power that we do not understand. So we lift these things up to you, Lord, and as we consider Lent and how to focus more on you, I'd pray that you'd steal our minds and hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so it is March, which is wild to me. Um, does anyone know what these flowers are? Crocuses. These are one of my favorite flowers. It's, it's wild that we're already past the time that the crocuses are blooming, and we're to the time of, of the daffodils. Um, March is a time of transition between winter and spring. And during this time, every new bloom, every warm day, every new leaf on a tree points to the fresh life-giving season of spring. In many ways, this transition of the seasons is to remember or to remain in the death of winter while waiting for the resurrection of spring, waiting for all that has been dormant or dead to come back to life or be reborn anew. It is a time of hopeful longing and faith for that which is sure to come. It's perhaps no surprise that Lent falls into this time of expectation. 
that ends in the celebration of Resurrection Sunday, also known as Easter. I think uh, Vegan Garoyan, a theologian and gardener, um, in a little book called Inheriting Paradise, Meditations on Gardening, of course I'm speaking, so I'm going to talk about gardening, um, puts it best when he says, every experienced Christian gardener knows that there is a spiritual spring which comes just as surely as nature's spring. The Lenten spring is God's invitation to prayer, fasting, and penance. Like deep-rooted thistleweed, some of our worst habits withstand all but the most persistent, persevering, and strenuous exercise. A quick pull on the root, however, will not do the trick, nor will an aggressive chop of the hoe. Patience is needed, and the humble willingness to drop down on one's knees and work carefully with a hand, fork, and trowel. The Christian gardener patiently picks sin from the soul's soil and cultivates it with care and attention to the tender new growth of faith. Today, I want to discuss Lent as an opportunity to see the weeds of distraction in our life and the opportunity it provides to give us attention to the tender shoots of faith growing in our lives as well. So, Lent. Um, it may be unfamiliar to some of you. Some of you may have never observed it before. It may be very familiar to those of you. But like I talked about on the Epiphany Chapel at the beginning of the year, I've come to deeply appreciate many historic Christian celebrations as tangible reminders of truths that I ought not to forget. Lent is one of those. It's a historic Christian observance emphasizing fasting, restraint, and repentance in anticipation of Easter. Lent may be unfamiliar to many in this room, and similar to Epiphany, it tends to be celebrated in traditions, perhaps with a more liturgical background. But Lent and fasting have really been part of the Christian tradition for a long time, even before the Council of Nicaea that many of you have probably learned about, where there was a lot of formation of what we today consider Christian orthodoxy and a lot of formulation of what the Trinity is. Before that time, um, there was a lot of things that kind of looked like Lent, but at the Council of Nicaea, they made it the official 40-day fast and kind of made it this official holiday. Um, Greg Troll uh, had provided me um, something that I sent out last week during the Lent Sabbath Chapel that gave a little overview of what fasting in Lent is, and I thought he put it really well and succinctly when he talked about the history of Lent. He says, There is an ancient church tradition of partial fasting in the days before Resurrection Sunday, Arrhenius spoke of this fasting more than 130 years before the beginning of the Catholic practice of Lent. The 40 days reflect Jesus' 40-day fast in the wilderness. 40 days are counted back from Resurrection Sunday. Since Sundays are celebration days, they are not counted in the 40. During the seasons, Christians abstained from particular activity or specific foods as a way of reflecting on and preparing to celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus, our Savior. You may notice a picture up here of Jesus. Um, this is a painting from the 19th century by a Russian artist. And I remember as I was preparing for this message, this picture struck me and, and honestly haunted me a little bit. Um, typically, in a lot of artis artistic renderings, Jesus is um, shown as quite victorious, besides maybe um, things of him on the cross, sometimes even then, or maybe at the Garden of Gethsemane. But this is the first time I really came across something that I noticed about Jesus fasting in the wilderness. And what I like about it and what bothers me is how human Jesus appears here. Um, a 40-day fast as a human being, even if you are God in the wilderness, would be challenging. It would be lonely. It, in many ways, is 
the opposite of free celebration. It is restriction in which you engage sometimes suffering or adversity. And in this way, Lent is a bit different than other Christian holidays that I tend to celebrate. Advent season is pretty exciting. We're waiting for Christmas. We have these little things that we're eating treats or we read Bible verses with our daughters. That's fun. Then Christmas time comes and I probably gain five or 10 pounds because, you know, Jesus came to earth. This is amazing. Let's get together and have a big old party with a lot of food. Easter is very similar. We're celebrating the resurrection. That's amazing. Even Epiphany where we talked back in January is all about Christ being revealed to the Gentiles and what a wonderful thing that salvation has come to all humanity. I think it's probably a good thing that we have a lot of parties in Christianity because there's a lot to celebrate because of the goodness of God and all that he's done for us. But Lent is a different type of holiday. It's a different type of observance because it calls for sacrifice over feasting. And I want to call out an elephant in the room. Um, I think spiritual disciplines, especially those that call for restraint or sacrifice, can be abused or taken to unhealthy extremes or morphed into social pressures that could, at its worst, manifest in spiritual abuse and a misunderstanding of grace and salvation. Let me be clear. If you are engaging in any spiritual discipline, even like the evangelical-approved spiritual disciplines of reading your Bible every day, prayer, journaling, and maybe musical worship, even those, if you're using those as a means to earn God's favor, earn righteousness, or earn salvation, you are living in bondage. And Jesus offers you freedom through faith in him, not by the merits of your acts of devotion. Observance of of Lent, like any act of devotion to the Lord, should be born out of freedom. And for the benefit of our relationship with the Lord, and for the building up of the community of believers, but while not in order to garner social standing, spiritual superiority, or to other people. Matthew 6 speaks well of this, as Jesus is talking about the ways in which our acts of devotion can veer off in directions that become counterproductive to what they're intended to be. Now, if you ever heard me speak in chapel, I like a bit of participation. So I'm going to show some scripture up here. If it's bolded, we read it as a community. If it's not, I will read it. I think I made a mistake by putting the first one up as a bolded one, so we don't really get into the rhythm. So I'm going to do a count of three, and then we're going to all read it together. Are you ready? Okay. All right. One, two, three, all together. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you'll have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Feel free to read with more enthusiasm. (laughs) And when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners. Well done. (laughs) Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, (laughs) 
That got a little confusing, but I think we accomplished the task. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you fast, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. A quick aside, could you imagine if I just put like a bunch of verses from numbers, like genealogies in here, how challenging that would be for us? <laughs> okay, back to you. <laughs> where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay out for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Clearly helping those in need, generosity, prayer, and fasting are good things in and of themselves. But our motives play an important role, as Jesus himself demonstrated. When we are distracted by wrong motives, we miss the flourishing that could have come from our devotion. It's worthwhile to examine all our practices in light of the warnings and instructions given to us by Jesus in Matthew 6. I think there are worthwhile questions as we approach things like Lent or any other spiritual disciplines, such as, what is receiving your time? What's receiving your effort and attention? What are your motives for doing something or not doing something? And are you chasing rewards motivated by self-interest or that which is enduring or eternal? In other words, what treasure are you pursuing? What is that thing of value and worth that you construct your life around, your values, your worries, your hopes and dreams? And perhaps the most uncomfortable question for myself when I ask this, because, and I'm going to qualify this before I ask this question, you are here having intellectual ability, which means you can reason and you are being taught to reason even better. Now, one of the downfalls about being taught to reason better is all of you know how to justify things really well. And if that's used for the glory of God, wonderful. But it's not used for the glory of God. It can sometimes be challenging to see what our true motives are. So my question is, are you baptizing it as an excuse to continue idolatry? Are you taking something that does not honor the Lord and wrapping a bunch of Christianity and Christianese around it in order to feel good about doing those things? I don't know what the answer is for you. <laughs> I've seen some of those things happen in my own lives. But I think Lent provides an opportunity to examine these forces that might be shaping us. Because the treasures we pursue are going to shape a lot of the decisions that we make in our life. And they will form us in some direction. As I've thought about, you know, what am I pursuing? What am I being formed by? Um, a passage of scripture that often comes to mind is found in Romans 12. Again, we'll do some participatory reading. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to resent your bodies as a living sacrifice. 
which is your spiritual worship. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. What is good and acceptable and perfect. Lent, by restricting ourselves, is to give us opportunity to have space to determine what is forming us and what is the will of God in our life. Well, I like agriculture and gardening and ecology, and I'm literally a tree hugger. I hugged a tree this Saturday. It smelled really good. Um, so I think about trees. And does anyone know what this is up here? Bonsai. So bonsai um, is an ancient tradition of caring for uh, trees, but in such a way that a tree that would typically grow huge grows in miniature. Um, it's, really interesting, um, it's a really interesting way to care for plants, but it's only achieved by a lot of attention, a lot of specific care, by pruning and by restraint to get these images and these trees that should be massive to be miniature, to have unique shapes, and to be beautiful. Also, I don't speak French, so I'm going to try to give you the name of this pruning technique. I think it's espalier. Espalier? Um, this, I believe, is an apple tree. And if you've ever seen an apple tree, they do not typically grow in this form. Uh, it takes uh, a lot of time to get an apple tree to go straight up against a wall. Um, but in that, what you're achieving is a great deal of efficiency and a lot of productivity. You might even be taking a spot that typically nothing would grow and using the backing of it to uh, absorb warmth in order for your apple tree to grow better. If you want to see a good example of this, if you go to Bush Park, there is a tree pruned similar to this. And it might be one apple tree or it might be a couple together, but it's about maybe this wide, but at least as long as the stage. Um, it's fascinating, and about that high. And again, this productivity, this efficiency, comes from care, attention, pruning, and restraint. Something that is good, perhaps is made very good. But there's other forces that form trees. Uh, if you've ever been to the Oregon coast or other coastal areas, you'll sometimes notice that trees that you would anticipate growing straight up instead are bent away from the ocean. And one of the things that I had mistaken some time ago that I thought the wind just literally bent the trunks that way. And I think some trees literally get bent that way. But one of the things that happens is the new growth on the shoots of the buds of trees, when the harsh wind hits it, it kills those. So the tree can't grow into the wind, has to grow away from the wind. So there's this strange force that not every day is super strong, but is persistent and invisible that causes the course of the tree's growth to grow in an unnatural fashion. In this way, I think to myself, what's this relation to temptation and this growth in our own lives? And then there's another type of um, formation that happens with trees. Sometimes a tree um, will look strong and big and beautiful and robust. And you're like, I'm going to climb that. Or for me, I'm like, I want to build like a tree fort in that. This is going to be a great tree. But when adverse external circumstances comes, or even when it gets 
um, big and its own weight is pressing on against it. The tree collapses, and you find inside that this tree that looked healthy, perfect, wonderful, in all external circumstances, looked amazing, was rotten from the inside. We ourselves are shaped by any forces, but the wise cultivator of the soul responds in like kind by paying attention so as to know the warning signs of damage and to respond with acts that lead to healing and flourishing. So I want to tell you a story from my own life. I like to tell stories. And this is a story about how I started to realize some of the forces that were shaping me and perhaps some of the rot that I discovered in my own life that came much as a surprise as I observed Lent last year. So if you know me, um, I tend maybe not to use technology as much as others and might even be a little suspicious of it. And uh, that's not a new thing. It's been a thing for me for a while. And I noticed last year um, around Lent, my wife and I usually discuss what do we want to observe together. And uh, we noticed that like after a long day of work, and then after like coming home and we're like trying to feed our kids, but like one of them's now four and a half, one of them's two. So there's always just like food everywhere. And then there's like poop because um, kids poop all the time. And uh, I actually got peed on yesterday at home. Um, and so there's, there's a lot going on. And by the time we get our kids in bed, we're pretty tired. And, uh, and I noticed we're like, okay, like we are worn out. Let's just watch something. And so we had Amazon Prime, and I noticed um, that every time we put the girls to bed, we turn Amazon Prime on. And we'd watch a particular show. We watched Frasier. I don't know if anyone's watched Frasier. We, yeah, we got some Frasier fans. And like we had watched the whole series multiple times, but we just put on Frasier and we'd watch it and kind of mindlessly. And, you know, we didn't necessarily just watch one episode. One episode would turn into two. Two episodes would turn into three. Then all of a sudden, I'd look at the time, and I'm like, I should really go to bed. But instead, I'd keep watching Frasier, not because I was so enraptured by the story of it. I'd seen it before. Um, or because I felt well-rested. I didn't. I just wouldn't go to bed. I'd just keep watching this. And it started to feel unhealthy to me. I'm like, what am I, like, I just, I'm wasting my evenings. Um, I'm doing nothing with them. And I'm not even, like, necessarily watching something I've never encountered before by appreciating a piece of art. I am just essentially mindlessly consuming, sometimes literally on my phone as I'm watching Frasier. It seemed like something was off. So we decided, let's just not give up all technology, not give up all media. Let's just not watch Amazon Prime in the evening. Let's just not watch anything in the evening. If we're on the weekend, maybe we'll watch a movie during the day. If I'm at work, we can watch something. Just in like the two hours after bedtime, let's not watch anything. I thought this was going to be a pretty easy Lenten observance because I'm like, I'm just not watching like a little bit of television. Um, and instead, it was like arduous suffering. And I'm like, this is really surprising to me. And I would get home, we put the girls to bed, and I would just, I would mope at home, like, we can't watch Frasier. Um, <laughs> and I would just be like bummed out and just like, I can be prone to angst and just be on the couch, like, Ugh. and I'm like, 
what is happening to me that Frasier has become so important to me in the evenings that I'm literally experiencing sometimes significant distress by not engaging that? Um, I, I did not like that. And it came as a pretty big surprise to me because I was sure I had a handle on my media use. I knew how it was forming me. I knew how it was affecting me. And instead, I mistook my own freedom, right? Of like, I'm just going to enjoy something in the evening. I mistook that flourishing for distraction. I had no idea how it was forming me. I was deeply surprised at how difficult it was. And what it did is it sent me on a journey to start looking at what is forming me and how. Because before we gave that up, I was totally sure this isn't going to be hard at all. In fact, I might be kind of copying out on my Lenten observance. Instead, I realized I was using that as a distraction to not deal with the things that were deep in my soul. I had noticed I had allowed myself to follow many scripts in society, which led me to, one, equate my own immediate and short-term satisfaction and comfort as the most worthwhile use of my time. To mistake passivity and laziness for rest and rejuvenation. And to misuse my own um, merits of the things that I feel like I had earned because, again, I serve and minister to people all day, plus my job is stressful. So I've earned this. I've earned checking my mind and my soul out the door to allow myself to be distracted. Or at its worst, it would become entitlement. I deserve this. I deserve to not have to think critically about how I'm using my time or how I'm distracting myself. And at the end of the day, when I'd removed this distraction that I knew was playing an outsized role in my life, I'd realized I'd grown weary of doing good. And I'd made excuses to allow myself to be lazy instead of confronting the work that needed to be done in my own soul and mind. Let me tell you a bit what it felt like when I started removing these things, because I started hearing and seeing things a little bit differently. My daughter, last night I was putting her to bed, and uh, she has, you know those little music boxes that you like wind up? I don't know where those come from. I think they permanently come from grandparents somehow, and, and you have them. And, and one is this like, I think some sort of like Eastern European lullaby. It's really, it sounds really nice. I actually thought like if someone sampled that and put it to like a hip hop beat, it would sound pretty good. Um, but she had that going like, oh, that's kind of nice. But then the other one, um, it was Amazing Grace. Um, and uh, last night she thought it'd be funny to crank both of them at the same time. And so she did. And it was music, but it was chaos. And what I noticed is I, I'm familiar with Amazing Grace. I love the song. What I found is even though it was plain, I could no longer hear it. Even though it was plain, it was drowned out and muddled by the other tune going on. And it was only by removing the other tune that you could hear what was there all along. And I think that's the role that distractions can play in our life. God's voice is wanting to see us flourish and lead us, is there all along. But I think there's a lot of noise we put in our way that drown that out. And so things like Lent can give you that opportunity to remove some of the noise, to hear the tune that might be playing and what it might be calling you to.
Okay. Um, we'll get to this quote in a moment, but I want to talk about a couple recommendations if you would like to practice Lent. So, one, use it as an opportunity for repentance to give something up for good if you know you are sinning, right? Like, if you know you're sinning, use this as a, as a time to just jump on the bandwagon of Christian community as other people are giving stuff up and find strength in that to stop causing destruction in your life or others. Reflect on what may be forming you through distraction and use Lent as an opportunity to practice a restrained approach to whatever that is, even if it's a good thing that you are misusing. Find others who will want to join you in a similar practice to encourage accountability and encouragement. And use the discomfort of the space provided what you've given up as an opportunity for prayer, worship, and fellowship. This year my practice is food-related because food also became a distraction for me in dealing with stress. My current desire and hunger for the foods I've restricted myself from are a reminder to refocus on that which is better. A faculty member is observing a similar Lenten practice alongside me, and he said, our spirits are willing, but our flesh is weak, and our stomachs are growling praise. It is all too easy to equate comfort and ease with being better than that which is difficult or uncomfortable. But to be distracted by the path of least resistance can also be a path that leads to weakness and can rob us from the seemingly paradoxical blessings that can come from the discomfort of restraint. For restraint and the challenges afforded by it give us regular reminders to bring our weakness, our idolatry, and our distractions to the Lord in order to see more clearly the good work the Lord sets before us. After all, it has only been through the work of the Lord amidst my removal of distractions that has allowed me the space for the growling of my stomach to transform from an excuse to be hangry and self-serving to instead become shouts of praise to the Lord. I think G.K. Chesterton captures some of these thoughts really well in his book, Orthodoxy. This is one of my favorite quotes. He says, And the more I considered Christianity, the more I found that while it had established a rule and order, the chief aim of that order was to give room for good things to run wild. I hope for yourself and for myself that you find this Lenten season as an opportunity to test what is forming you, to replace distraction with flourishing, and to provide space for that which is good to run wild. I'd like to end now with a benediction from Romans 15. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You're dismissed. <laughs> <laughs>